Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. I'm the host, Jonathan Sadler, um, and I've got with me today Scott Smelser. He'll be joining us here in just a few minutes. Um, if you're coming in on the Zoom app today, you can submit your comments and your questions in the Q&A box or the chat window um, and discuss some of the things that we're talking about today. Uh, or if you're on Scott's Facebook page, you can put that in the comment window and I'll be watching those. Um, if you have any questions about what we're discussing today or uh, any questions that you'd like us to discuss in the future um, or questions today unrelated to our topic, you can submit those uh, right now um, or you can put those on BibleQuest.tv and we'll be happy to get to those in our future shows. Um, today, what I want to discuss is this thing that happens in our life sometimes and kind of how to deal with it biblically and adequately. Um, and to, you know, confidently overcome this obstacle that happens sometimes in our, in our lives, which is really kind of ironic because um, we don't feel, um, I guess, confident in this situation. And the situation that I'm talking about are times in our lives where we don't know what to do. Um, and this can happen in a lot of different ways. Um, it can happen, you know, personally at a small scale, um, like, you know, which job to take or which, uh, you know, city to move to, um, which could be, I guess, you know, potentially big things or, you know, uh, which restaurant to go and eat at. Um, uh, it can be as, as trivial as that. Um, it can come from places of leadership, um, like maybe our government leaders, they don't know what to do and that can be terrifying for us. Uh, or our employers, or maybe the leader of your family, your house, um, and uh, or different things like that, where it's just um, not a, a comfortable place to be. When you're in a situation, in a position of where you or maybe someone that's influential to the situation doesn't know what to do. Um, and I'm sure maybe most of us have probably experienced that feeling of, of just doubt and, and terror um, realizing that, you know, time is not going to stop. Uh, I need to make a decision, but I don't know what or how to make that decision. Um, and so I want to look at a story in the scriptures where that exact thing happens and actually happens from somebody in a position of leadership. They, they find themselves in a spot where they don't know what to do. And I want to just notice that story and notice some of the things that happen and that that leader does and the result of that, and then maybe uh, see some, some biblical principles and truths that we can apply to ourselves and our lives whenever we get in those similar kinds of situations um, where you know, we don't know what to do uh, also in those times. And so that guy that I'm talking about um, is the king of Judah uh, during the divided kingdom, uh, the king Jehoshaphat. So um, before I actually get to the story of seeing exactly what Jehoshaphat does um, and, and when he gets to that moment where he doesn't know what to do, I want to just notice really briefly some of the things about this guy. Um, and that'll help to kind of illustrate that this sort of feeling and, and circumstance doesn't just happen to, you know, unprepared people or, um, you know, wicked people, but really good and righteous and prepared and godly people experience this feeling of being confronted with a situation or a trial that they don't know how to handle or, or how to move forward with. So um, if you want to follow along in, in your Bibles, you can look in Second Chronicles. And we're going to start in Second Chronicles chapter 17 um, and look at some of the things that Jehoshaphat is doing whenever he begins to reign as king. Um, so Second Chronicles 17 verse 1, 
Uh, it says Jehoshaphat, his son, that's the son of Asa. Uh, Jehoshaphat reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed forces in all the fortified cities of Judah. And he set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim that Asa, his father, had captured. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father, David. He did not seek the Baals, but he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat and he had great riches and honor. And his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places on the Asherim out of Judah. So the first thing that you notice when Jehoshaphat becomes king is he's a pretty good guy. Um, and he's following after one of the you know, better kings, uh, at least in the first part of his reign in Judah, his father Asa, who was king for a significant amount of time. Um, and he is not following after the idolatry that has kind of captured the kingdom of Israel. Um, and Ahab will be king in Israel. If you know anything about Ahab, he's probably the most wicked king that Israel ever had. Um, you can make an argument for that. Um, and Jehoshaphat's the polar opposite. He's taking down the, the Asherim out of Judah. He's getting rid of the idol worship and he's directing people towards the Lord and he's courageous in doing that. So the country is prospering um, in doing that. Um, and furthermore, he goes on in verse seven and it says in the third year of his reign, he sends out these officials and I won't try to pronounce all of their names. I'll probably mispronounce a lot of them, but he sends all of these officials out. And in verse nine, here's what they were doing. They taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went about through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. So not only is he taking active steps to get idolatry out of Judah, but he's also taking proactive steps to teach people God's law and his word. And he's sending people out saying, here's the law of God. Here's what God expects. And here's what we need to be doing. Um, then in chapter 18, uh, when you get to, or excuse me, chapter 19, in 19 and verse uh, 4, um, Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and he brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. And he appointed judges in all the land um, and the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, consider what you do, for you judge not man, not for man, but for the Lord. And he is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you and be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. So he also cares about the, the justice of his kingdom and establishing this kind of judicial system as what God has expected to do. Um, and there are maybe some other things we can notice in these few chapters about Jehoshaphat. But the, the point that I want to get across is that Jehoshaphat is a really great man. Um, he's, a, he's an extraordinary leader, a really great king. He stands out above a lot of the other kings of Judah uh, in this time period of the divided kingdom. And, and he's just doing well um, for the Lord. Um, but then you get to chapter 20 and oppression and hardship starts to come um, for Jehoshaphat, um, which is really interesting. So I'm just going to read the first two verses in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Minuites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. And some of the men have told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. So isn't that how sometimes our lives can happen? Um, we do this good thing for the Lord. We do this good thing for the Lord. We're, we're you know, 
um, growing ourselves, being good influences for the people that are around us, uh, maybe having a positive impact on our kind of social circle in the world or whatever, um, and just being really good people. And then something hard happens, <laughs> something, something difficult happens, um, and we just get kind of knocked down <laughs> by that. Um, I, I won't guess, we could guess maybe what Jehoshaphat's reaction to this is, this, the text will tell us in the next uh, few verses, um, but you know, if you were Jehoshaphat, how would you feel without reading in the next few verses starting in verse three? You probably feel maybe like um, terrified, scared, you've got not just one nation, but actually three nations that have allied with each other that are coming to attack you now, um, and this kind of great horde that's going to be coming uh, to destroy the people of Judah. Um, so, so far in the story, we've noticed Jehoshaphat's a good guy. He's really doing good work for the Lord, but still something hard and difficult happens. And we're going to notice how he's going to deal with that situation and how he really kind of feels about that situation, how extreme this situation is for him uh, and the people of Israel. Um, so, um, Scott, you're back with us. Would you mind, do you want to read um, 2 Chronicles chapter 20? Um, verse 3 and 4. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Okay, so there's a phrase that shows up a few different times uh, in just those two verses. Uh, it shows up three times in two verses. It's seek the Lord. <laughs> Uh, or seek help from the Lord. Um, and, uh, you know, he, Jehoshaphat is doing exactly what you would expect a righteous person to be doing in a difficult situation, seeking the Lord and also getting other people around him to seek the Lord. Um, and so he, he fasts and he declares this fast um, and he's really dedicated to this. And then he seeks the Lord in prayer. Um, and I want to notice just kind of reading through his prayer here in just a little bit. Um, but that's maybe kind of the first point that I want to make. In, in hard situations where we don't know what to do, the very first thing that we need to do is turn to the, the one that does know what to do or how to deal with difficult situations in our life, and that's the Lord. Um, a, a lot of times, sometimes people have the uh, idea that when something difficult or hard happens, people will maybe say uh, something like this, like, oh, well, all that we can do is pray. Um, and almost kind of viewing that as like, I can't really do a whole lot. That's not really that effective. Um, prayer is the most powerful thing that we can do um, because it's appealing to the one that has the power to actually change our circumstances and situations and, and deliver us out of those times whenever we're terrified or scared or in something that we can't handle uh, on our own. Um, and so I like how Jehoshaphat's first response is seek the Lord in prayer. Um, and we need to do that. But his, the specifics of what he says in the prayer, I think, are really interesting to notice. Go ahead, Scott. Let's just remember some New Testament verses about prayer. In 1 Peter 5, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Yes. Uh, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And so the same truth that is true here in the Old Testament is also true um, now under Christ as well. So um, let's read his prayer. Uh, it's just a few verses, and then we'll notice some of the things and kind of key statements that he makes, particularly at the end of his prayer. So 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 5, says, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, 
O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms and the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before you, uh, before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came up from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us, and we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Um, so I want to notice the three statements in particular that Jehoshaphat makes uh, in the last section, the last little area of his prayer, and really that last verse of the prayer in verse 12. Um, he says, first, um, we are powerless against this great horde. Um, that's an interesting statement to me, considering some of the details that we skipped over in Jehoshaphat's story. So I want to look back and just notice, in spite of Jehoshaphat saying that he's powerless, maybe to outside eyes, he wouldn't look all that powerless. Um, back in Second Chronicles chapter 17, where Jehoshaphat begins to reign, starting in verse 10, uh, it describes Jehoshaphat's army. Um, and it's pretty impressive. Uh, in verse 10 uh, of 2 Chronicles 17, the fear of the Lord fell upon all of the kingdoms of the land that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. Some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver for tribute, and the Arabians also brought him 7,700 rams and 7,700 goats. And Jehoshaphat grew steadily greater. And he built in Judah fortresses and store cities, and he had large supplies in the cities of Judah, and he had soldiers, mighty men of valor in Jerusalem. And this was the muster of them by father's houses. Of Judah, the commanders of thousands, Adna the commander, with 300,000 mighty men of valor, and next to him Jehoniah, and the commander with 280,000, next to him Amasiah, the son of Zikri, and a volunteer for the service of the Lord with 200,000 mighty men of valor. Of Benjamin Eliada, a mighty man of valor with 200,000 men, armed with bow and shield. And next to him, Jehozabad, with 180,000 armed for war. And those who were in the service of the king, besides those whom the king had placed in the fortified cities throughout all of Judah. So if you just go through and add up all those numbers, um, you'll get to the army that he has is 1,160,000 men. Um, that's a huge army. And the last verse in that, in, uh, that chapter, in verse 19, says... That's not even all of the men that he had. That's excluding the ones that he had put in Judah, in the capital in Jerusalem, or in the fortified cities throughout Judah. Um, so he has this huge army, yet his mentality is we are powerless before this great horde. Now, maybe that's just a testament to how large the army of Ammon and, and Moab and Mount Seir is in chapter 20. Maybe they have a significantly larger army, but I don't know if I would feel totally powerless if I had a million, 100,060 guys to back me up. Um, but that's interesting to notice that Jehoshaphat says that he's powerless. And I don't know if you have a, Scott, a thought about that, Scott, but what do you think about maybe why Jehoshaphat, uh, if anything, says we're powerless here? 
Yeah, uh, I don't know how many are on the other side. You recall Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 14. If you got 10,000, but the other guy has 20,000. But this this would be a large army, you know, in a lot of places today. Yeah. Uh, it would be a, a very large army back then. But yeah. I don't know how many side. Yeah. Um, I think maybe uh, what Jehoshaphat is thinking is maybe this principle that shows up elsewhere in scripture. Um, in Zechariah chapter four and verse six, uh, it says whenever um, the, the Lord is speaking to Zerubbabel um, through Zechariah, Zechariah says, this is my word, the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Um, there's this principle where numbers really don't matter. Uh, in scripture. And there are a number of times that the Lord illustrates that um, in battles that he wins for Israel, and this one included, um, where it doesn't matter if you've got two guys with you, or you've got 200 million guys with you. If you don't have the Lord, it doesn't matter. Um, you're going to lose. And you think about stories, maybe like Jonathan and his armor bearer, just two guys who can take out, uh, you know, a major portion of the Philistine army, um, and, and David and Goliath and, and all the stories that are all throughout scripture. Um, I think Jehoshaphat realizes that he in and of himself, even with his army of, of a million plus, can't do anything without the Lord. Um, and he's totally reliant on the power of the Lord, um, which again kind of fits the character in the bill for Jehoshaphat being this righteous man um, and relying on the Lord's power and not his own power. Go ahead, Scott. And when the Lord's not on your side you need to take pharaoh going after a bunch of slaves you got a bunch of slaves in the bed of the of the sea there <laughs> you've got this huge army, but the lord's not on pharaoh's side yep right yeah mm -hmm. yeah so lots of examples of that i think maybe that's kind of the idea there because just by human eyes jehoshaphat's pretty powerful he's pretty strong but in his eyes he realizes the strength and the power belongs to the lord um and he's going to rely on him um, the next thing that he says in 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 12, after he says we're powerless against this great horde, he has there that key statement that I, I introduced us with, and we do not know what to do. Um, now, that's a pretty scary thing. Um, can you imagine being in the army of Jehoshaphat in that moment? Um, you know, it'd be pretty scary when your king is faced with this war and he calls all the people together. And he's praying to the Lord. And in his prayer, he says, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, that's coming from the leader. Um, and uh, I, I think we'll eventually see this shows how Jehoshaphat is really trusting in the Lord. Um, you especially see that in kind of his last statement and what we explored in the idea of him being powerless. Um, but that's how we kind of introduced, you know, most of us aren't faced with this exact situation where we're facing this great horde of an army coming to destroy us and our family or whatever. But we do have hard things in our life where we look at the situation and, you know, we're assessing the different kind of things that are happening and realize I just have no idea what I'm going to do about this. <laughs> I don't know how to approach this. I don't even know the first step to take. I'm just at a loss. Um, and that can be really, really scary to be in that kind of feeling or, or situation. But that leads to the third phrase that Jehoshaphat makes that really kind of gives him peace and, and helps lead to the deliverance um, that the Lord will give them in this chapter, where he says, we do not know what to do. But the last thing in verse, tw uh, verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 20 is, but our eyes are on you. Um, his faith and his trust is still looking on the Lord, even whenever he doesn't know what to do personally himself. He knows 
I can still look to the Lord for help and strength and he can be my fortress and my rock and the foundation to stand on and those sorts of other things. Go ahead, Scott. It's very important for us to be humble. Mm -hmm. um, get to where we think, oh, look at my fields. I prospered and prospered. What will I do? I'll tear down my fields and build bigger barns. You know, uh, yeah. they are yeah. this. Uh, or Nebuchadnezzar, look what I have done. And there's something humbling when we're brought into a situation and we realize we can't do anything about it and we're humbled before God. I'm reminded of Romans 8.20. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. It's not that we want problems, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Uh, it's, it's not when he's got all the money that the prodigal son comes to his senses. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's when he's in the pig pen wishing he had it as good as a pig. And that's when he comes to his senses. Yeah, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so those situations are actually good for us um, to realize that we need something outside of ourselves. We need the Lord uh, in that. And so we have that kind of model. Before we get to kind of the end result of what happens in Jehoshaphat's story, I want to just take a little bit of a break and talk about some applications that we can get for ourselves as well. We've already been discussing this a little bit, but we'll just make it more linear um, to hopefully be helpful here. The first thing we need to do in situations where um we don't know what to do and those hard times is i think learn to be honest about our circumstances um and open about our circumstances with the lord um scott mentioned in first peter chapter five um where it says cast your cares on the lord because he cares for you um you know god already knows that we can't handle those situations by ourselves, um, and it, kind of acknowledging that is really the first step and maybe that's the most obvious thing that that i'm going to say um, this afternoon, but you know, all kinds of different organizations have understood that you know truth of just acknowledging that I'm in a position where I need help. Um, you know, AA or Alcoholics Anonymous has adopted that as the first step, saying that you have the problem, um, and not just trying to blindly feel your way through it um, and blind yourself to the situation. We need to be honest with ourselves and honest with others uh, and honest with the Lord. Um, and straightforward with the Lord and okay. confess our circumstances. I honestly the Lord. Um, do you have anything you want to say about that, Scott? Yeah. So the next thing that I'll say um, is um, after kind of acknowledging the situation, um, I'll say, um, is um, after acknowledging the situation. Um, Scott, you're getting some feedback now. Yeah, that's okay. Okay. Um, so the next thing that I'll say about that is um, after, after we acknowledge the situation, is we need to then confess our insufficiency. Yeah, sorry, we're having some technical difficulties right now. Are you there now, Scott?
Okay, I think Scott's having some uh, trouble with connectivity, so that's a, that's okay. We'll just keep going um, without him for a few minutes. Um, so uh, the next thing, after acknowledging that we're in a difficult situation, is then confessing our insufficiency, and you see that in uh, Jehoshaphat's prayer, where even in spite of the fact that he has an army of of a million plus, he says we're powerless to do this. Um, and, you know, that's hard to say that you don't know what to do. Um, it, it's hard to come out and admit that. Um, I like knowing what to do. Um, and I, I like having a plan. And I like, I like being able to go forward with my plan um, and for there to be no problems and all those sorts of things. But, you know, that doesn't always happen in the life of a Christian and really in anyone's life. There's, there's never always a time where you always are equipped and prepared and know exactly what to do in every situation. Um, and you know, Jesus kind of acknowledges that a little bit uh, in Matthew chapter 19. In the story of the, um, the rich young ruler that we often call him uh, when he comes to Jesus in Matthew 19 and then he is told to leave all of his possessions but he doesn't wanna do that. And the apostles see that and they say, uh, you know, who then can be saved in Matthew 19, verse 25, Jesus looked at them in verse 26, and he said, with man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Um, we need to believe and trust that and realize that I can't do everything on my own, um, not all the time. Sometimes I'll need the help of others, and every time I'll need the help of the Lord. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes things are out of our reach, but that's okay, um, because God's in control. Um, and especially when it comes to our salvation, he's in control and is capable of delivering that to us like he's promised. Um, we don't have to be in control of every single tiny detail in our lives, even when we feel like we need to. Um, and so being able to confess our insufficiency is really important as well. Um, and then finally, we need to acknowledge our dependence, which is maybe kind of interconnected with confessing our, in, our in, uh, insufficiency, but acknowledging our dependence on the Lord um, and really on other people. Um, Jehoshaphat ends his prayer with, our eyes are on you, um, in 2 Chronicles 20. And um, uh, I think it's easy to hear that statement um, and think, uh, you know, whenever someone says, you know, when your life is hard, just put your eyes on the Lord. Just look to the Lord. Look to him. Um, and sometimes whenever we hear that statement, it's easy to maybe kind of brush that off and say, you know, that's just what you're supposed to say. Um, but that's something that's needed. Uh, and there's so much good that comes from that statement. And so I hope that this doesn't just, you know, go in one ear and out the other, but it's not really just looking at God that's important, but knowing who you're looking at, um, knowing who the Lord is, who God is and what he's capable of. So I want to go to one of my favorite places uh, in scripture. And there are a lot of places you can go to learn about the Lord and who he is and what he's capable of. But I like going to Isaiah chapter 40. And so I want to just go through a little bit of this text with uh, everyone today and point out some things about who the, the person is that we're actually putting our eyes on. Um, and then uh, hopefully that'll help us um, to understand better who God is and, and how to, uh, you know, seek him and, and acknowledge our dependence on him. So we're in Isaiah chapter 40 now, Scott, um, and I'm going to start in verse 28. Um, this really begins with some uh, rhetorical questions. So Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 says, have you not known? Have you not heard? Um, I think the, the implication is, of course, you know who God is. Of course, you've heard what he's done. Of course, you've heard who he is. 
but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> uh, we're going to restate this. And it's helpful, I think, in these situations where we feel powerless uh, to, you know, even if we have some grasp of who God is, to remind ourselves anyway in those moments who God is. Um, that'll go a long way in having the peace of the Lord um, and being able to, uh, you know, make it through these hard situations. So there are a few different things that are said about who the Lord is here in Isaiah 40, verse 28. It says, the Lord is everlasting God, the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths faint and be weary. Even young men shall fall exhausted, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So just a few things to notice about here, and we'll break these down. First thing it says is he's the everlasting God. Um, he's eternal. And what that means to me is he's, he's been here, or what not just to me, but what that means is he's been here from the beginning and he'll be here long after the end. Um, that means that for your specific problem, God has seen it before probably and has dealt with it before um, and can deal with it again. Um, you know, my dad told me a lot whenever I was growing up that he's been there and he's done that. Um, and most of the time that was true. Um, but there are some things that I've experienced in my life or that I've seen in my life that my dad hasn't personally experienced. Um, God can deal with any subject. He, he's beyond that though. Um, he's everlasting. He's always been, and he's seen, there, there's no surprising God in a difficult situation. I've gone to my dad before and it's, and it's hard, but I've, I've asked my dad about some things and he said, I don't know. And he's human. There are things that my dad doesn't know. Um, but there's nothing that God doesn't know. Um, and that's maybe one of dip, dipping into one of the other things um, that it says here. But he, he's been around for a long time and God can handle the situations that we come to. Um, then it says he's the creator of the ends of the earth. Um, uh, you know, I, I love looking at the, the creation. I love looking at the stars and the sun um, and, and, you know, just seeing how huge everything is with the trillions of, of things that are in our galaxy um, and, you know, God made all of that. Um, and to me, what that says is he's bigger than all of that. Um, the scriptures talk about that, how the Lord holds in the palm of his hand, the oceans, and he can stretch the expanse of the heavens from, uh, from the, the span of his hand, from the end of his thumb to his pinky. He can measure the heavens with that. Um, Psalm 19, verse 1, say the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, and, you know, you can see that he's made all of the things in the earth and is in control over all of those things and bigger than all of those things. Um, he says that he doesn't grow faint or weary. Um, now, I, that, that's maybe one of the more difficult things for me to understand because I get tired, um, I get weary, everyone does. Everyone needs a break, everyone needs some rest, but God doesn't need that. He doesn't need to take a break, he doesn't need to take a nap. There's never too much that he experiences that he can't handle. Uh, in that. And then not just his, his, I guess, physical stamina, if that's even appropriate to think about that, like uh, in that way for God, but in his mental capacity, um, he never runs out. His, his understanding is unsearchable. Um, you can never exhaust what God knows. Um, you know, we understand, I, I think we get that on a macro level, on a big level that God has all understanding. Um, but that's true on the smaller levels too, um, that he understands everything about me. Um, and he knows the, the small, tiny details about me. Um, Jesus says that he knows the hairs on our head. 
um, and can count the hairs on our head and all those sorts of things. Um, uh, in Psalm 56, um, David writes that he keeps count of his tossings. His tears are put in his bottle. They're in his book. God is, is keenly aware of the things that are happening in my life. And he knows, he sees those things. There's not one struggle that the people of God go through that he's not aware of and, care, and cares about. Um, and so that gets us back to what Peter says, you know, cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you um, and he can do something about that. Go ahead, Scott. In James 1, verse 5, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach. Um, my American standard says without upbraiding. Uh, if you ask your brother or your friend or your neighbor for a favor, and then another favor, and then another and another, at some point you're gonna probably hear that's enough. And the idea here, God gives without reproach, without upbraiding, he's not limited. Yep, 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 yep. yeah, good point, yeah. And then the last thing that it says, talking about in verse 29 and following is, he gives that power to the faint and increases their strength. Um, I think that that's one of the most beautiful things that you can ever read in scripture. Um, that you know maybe the most beautiful thing to think about is that that god forgave us that he sent his son to die on the cross for us that's what the whole story of the scriptures is about that's what the, the all of creation was pointing towards um and all the foreshadowing the scripture um that he redeemed us through his son that's the most amazing thing that could ever happen for us but one of the also really incredible and amazing things is that god gives his power to people that are in need. Um, he increases the strength to those that are in need, to his people that are in need. Um, you know, he does that for those that, that, that ask for it, kind of like what Scott said, you know, let those who lack wisdom ask for the Lord and he'll give without reproach um, and those sorts of things. Um, uh, you know, it, the text says, even youths faint and grow weary. Um, it, and this will happen to everyone. Everyone will get tired, whether you've experienced a moment where you don't know what to do or not, it probably will happen in your life. And what we need to realize is that if you wait on the Lord and you, you know, call out to him and, and have your eyes on him, he will help through those situations. That may not be exactly how we uh, think that he should help, but he will. Um, and, and we'll have the peace uh, and comfort of the Lord um, and drawing close to him. And he will, you know, deliver us through um, those, those trials and, and, and situations um, and ultimately preserve our soul um, and the promises that he has given us. So those who trust in the Lord, um, he renews their strength. They mount up with, with the wings of eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Those are the promises of the scripture. And that comes from the Lord or from the one who Jehoshaphat says that his eyes were on. So I really like Isaiah 40. Like I said, there, there are other places, a lot of other places you go in scriptures to learn about God and who the Lord is and who you're actually looking at. Um, in those situations. Um, but waiting on God and trusting in him, trusting that he can handle the weights in our life um, and, and you know, casting our cares on him is really the answer in those moments where we don't know what to do. So back in Second Chronicles 20, we, we won't read that whole story, but Jehoshaphat's story ends really well. Um, he, he prays that prayer where we don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. Um, and then the Lord overthrows the enemies of Jehoshaphat and he sends this the text in the ESV says he sends this ambush on them and they start you know kind of breaking their their uh their allegiance to each other and attacking one another and the three different kingdoms kind of destroy each other and as Jehoshaphat and his army are 
heading out to the battle, um, they have almost kind of like the, the choir leading the battle march and singing praises to the Lord. And when they arrive at the battle scene, the battle's already won. Um, they're, everyone, no one has escaped and they're able to plunder the people that were coming to plunder them. And I think the text says it takes them like three days to get all of the things that, that were left over. Um, there's this, this great victory that's won by the Lord. Um, and I really like that story because in that situation where Jehoshaphat um, doesn't know anything to do, the Lord takes care of it for him. Um, now, for us, there are still things that we need to do in our life, and there are still things that Jehoshaphat does. Um, he prays, he praises the Lord, he prepares the army, he's ready to go um, and, and to fight. And we don't need to just get this mentality of where we have a difficult thing in our life, so I'm just going to sit on the couch and let God take care of it. Um, God expects for us to um, you know, go out and do things in our life um, in order to shine the light of his kingdom uh, and to honor and glorify him um, and different things in our life. We don't need, need to just become, you know, couch potatoes that are waiting for God to fix all of our problems. Um, God has equipped us with ways to deal with situations in our life as well. Um, but first and foremost, we need to realize that we need the Lord. Um, and Jehoshaphat really illustrates that uh, in this story. Um, so um, that's pretty much everything that I wanted to say about that. Scott, do you have any other comments or thoughts before we start wrapping up this afternoon? Well, thanks for the study. Good points. So I hope that's helpful for uh, everyone uh, in the audience. And maybe in the next time in your life, whenever you feel, um, you know, a moment like Jehoshaphat does, where you don't know what to do, following the example that he sets down and, and noticing what the Lord does for him, um, is an effective way of overcoming those situations, I think, in our lives. Um, so that's all we had for this week. Um, again, to our audience, if you have any comments or questions about that topic or any other topics you'd like us to discuss, um, that's why we do this. That's why we want to um, be on every week to help answer your all's questions and, and help everyone learn more about the scriptures and about the Lord um, and our quest through the Bible. So you can submit those to us at BibleQuest.tv. And we'll be happy to get to those in future weeks. But that's all we have for this week. So we will see you all next Tuesday, Lord willing.